very much. It's a very great pleasure and a, to be with you again this morning, and also a privilege, really, because I know that you've been going through the uh, three aspects of the kind of foundational vision of the church, and reaching up, reaching out, and reaching in. And um, it strikes me that if you're going to achieve your reaching out, you're going to need the other two, because they go together. You can't reach out without reaching up for the divine resources to do that. Getting hold of God, getting hold of God's heart, and getting the passion, and also getting the power of his spirit to do that. But you know also, you're not going to do it unless you reach in. And if there's people kind of on their own, just as kind of lone rangers out there, I'm going to do this, I'll tell you what's going to happen, you're going to burn out. Because you need each other. And that's what I want to speak about this morning. I want to speak about reaching in, and I've subtitled this Strengthening Each Other and Building Community. Because I believe that it's as those things are built, as you build that here, as you gain strength and encouragement for each other, then you'll be able to succeed in in the other things that you are being called to do. And... So this whole idea of community and how we strengthen each other is what I want to think about. But before we do that, I'm just going to uh, play a short clip from a, a favourite teacher of mine called John Ortberg. Have any of you read any of John Ortberg's books? Yeah. Um, he has the hallmark of what I call a, a great teacher, which is that he makes things that are otherwise quite complex seem dead obvious. It's like, oh yes. Why didn't I see that? And he has that ability. So um, I'm just going to give you a little bit, a clip from a series of, uh, of things we've been working through, videos and workbooks called Soul Keeping, which is looking after your soul. And here's what he has to say. I, hope this works. I read one time in a medical journal that in the 20th century, people who lived in each generation were three times more likely to experience depression than people in the generation before them. In other words, despite the rise of the mental health profession, people are becoming increasingly vulnerable to depression. Why? One brilliant psychologist has a theory that it's because we have replaced community, society, church, faith, with a tiny little unit that cannot bear the weight of meaning. We replaced all these larger entities with the self, Now we're all about the self. We revolve our lives around ourselves, which is not okay, because we are more than a self. We are a soul. Yeah, stop it there. We've replaced community, society, church, and faith with a tiny little unit that cannot bear the weight, the weight of meaning. And... We live in, a, in our culture, in a very individualistic culture. Uh, it's very much about what I do myself, you know, finding myself, developing who I really am, all that kind of thing. And if we're not careful, that kind of individualistic thinking can come over into the church as well. And we make salvation like just a very personal thing. It's just me and God. It's about what I do. It's all about me finding that that place and that meaning. And, you know, I don't see that in the Bible. I believe that God loves communities. 
Now, I'm going to give you a verse, and I hope this one doesn't upset you, but there's a a verse that's everybody's favourite, lovely verse, which is Jeremiah 29, 11. I will read you the whole verse so I don't get it wrong. Uh, And it says this in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Who loves that verse? It's a great one, isn't it? Fridge magnets, you know, the whole lot. It's just the verse you have. But I've got some bad news for you. We lose something in English when we read that verse because it's not addressed to you or you as individuals. It it actually works if you do it in Scouse. Okay, so I know the plans I have for (laughs) yous. Plans to give yous a hope and give yous a future. Okay, just remember the Scouse translation of this verse. But, But the important thing is this. These were promises to the nation of Israel when they were first given. And in fact, if you want to really claim it for yourself, you need to look at the verse that comes before. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So you can claim it if you like, but you might have 70 years of Babylon first. Sorry about that. Now, I don't want to disappoint everybody too much. That verse does tell us something about the character of God. So we can claim it, okay, because, you know, God doesn't have bad plans for us. But... The point I'm making is this, just to grab it and say, me, it's for me, it's my personal promise, is to miss the point of when God originally gave this promise to his people. And I believe that a lot of the promises of God are not just for me, so I can be built up and gratified and have a great experience. They're for communities, they're for collective, for the people together. And I believe that as we recognize that and we build community, then the world will see something that is increasingly disappearing. You know, there's a, there's a crisis of, of singleness almost. People, more and more people are living on their own in this country. People are almost getting further apart. So despite the fact we've all got our social media and Facebooks and our Twitters and our WhatsApps and all the rest of it, the reality is people are getting further apart in terms of community. And the church is one of the very, very few places that holds on to something. And so sometimes governments look at the church and say, oh, they've got something. Perhaps we can get them to do this and that. If you could just forget the Jesus bit. <laughs> you know, We like what you've got. We like the community. We like the fact that you're prepared to you know, give to others. But can you just tone down the religious bit? And the answer is no. Because the reason we can be this community is because we're centred on Jesus. And it's our love for him that gives us the, the, the motivation to go and do the things we do. So you can't take Jesus out of the church and expect the community still to be there. It's not going to happen. So anyway, I'm kind of going off in a slightly different direction. But, uh, anyway, the, the point is this. Those, those words... Uh, those promises are plural. So what I want to do this morning is I'm going to look at reaching in, but I'm going to do it in a particular way. Now, you may have picked up from when I came last time that I've been doing a lot of studying in the book of Hebrews. And the reason for this is that we've been going through Hebrews in New Mills in, in quite an in-depth way over a whole year's worth of monthly studies. We're working through the book of Hebrews. 
Uh, I can't remember if I said that when I first became a Christian, I was told not to read Hebrews because it was difficult. So I didn't for ages. And then when I got round to reading it, it was like, whoa, this makes sense of so many things, particularly how the Old Testament and New Testament relate together. So I do recommend it, but perhaps get yourself a guide to help you through some of the tricky bits. But just so you know the background to Hebrews and why I'm giving you this, uh, Hebrews was written to the Jewish... Have I said this here? I can't remember where I've said these things. Okay, Hebrews was written to uh, a community of Jewish converts to Christianity. Uh, probably in Rome. There were two big communities, Jerusalem and Rome. And this one, the book was probably written to the Jewish Christians in Rome. And what was happening at the time was that they were in, experiencing increasing persecution. The persecutions of the um, around about AD 60s had just started to happen, and they were about to ramp up. And this community of Jewish Christians had a particular temptation, and that temptation was to go back to their Jewish identity, because to be a Jew was a legitimate religion in the Roman Empire. You could be a Jew and you'd be left alone to get on with life, but to be a Christian was not good. It was an illegal religion. And so there was a very great temptation for Jewish converts to kind of hide behind their Jewish identity and avoid the persecution. That was the temptation they had to play it safe. And so the writer to the Hebrews, the whole letter is saying, if you do that, you're going to lose all of these great things that you have in Christ. Because Jesus is better He's better than prophets, he's better than angels, he's better than Moses, he's better than Joshua, he's better than the old sacrifices. And the whole book is how Jesus is better. And if you go back to where you were, you're going to lose all of that. So that's, that's what the book of Hebrews is about in a, in a nutshell. And what he says is, you need to stick together for what is about to come upon you. Now, we don't have that level of persecution, thank the Lord. That has not happened. But the Christian faith is getting increasingly marginalised in our society. Um, we need the same encouragement that we had, the Hebrews had, the, those Jewish Christians, to stick together in the face of an increasingly hostile environment for what we do. So one of the things I notice as I read Hebrews is... There's a load of places where the writer says, let us do something. In fact, right at the very beginning, the very first verse says, um, in the past God spoke to our ancestors, and he's identifying with them. He's saying, it's us. We are in this together. And I counted 13 places, or rather Bible Gateway counted 13 places, where in Hebrews it actually says, let us do something. Now, I really like that because it's not you must do something. It's not him telling them what they ought to do. Get on with it, guys. Work out your own salvation. It's let us together. Let's get this together as a community. And as we do it together, then you know, we, will, you know, we will find that we can stand. So I hope you've got your sandwiches with you for these 13. Are we going... Um, no, actually, I've kind of divided them into four individual sections of let us do things together. And I thought it was interesting, um, 
this is kind of related, but as I was preparing this, I came across a quote from Martin Luther, you know, the great man of the Reformation. He said, I ask that men make no reference to my name and call themselves not Lutherans. He didn't want to be the man at the top, you know, the one famous man. He actually said, don't call yourselves Lutherans. And what did people do? There's a Lutheran church. Um, and unfortunately, that kind of thing happens. But he was saying, let us. It's not just me. It's all of us. We're in this together. Okay, so what we're going to do is, I want to take you through some of the let us verses that are in Hebrews. And the first one, oh yeah, sorry, the church is no place for egos. Um, Sometimes it can get a little bit competitive, even in churches. It can get competitive between churches. And and you you kind of don't say it because it's not really, you know, you're not not really supposed to say it. So you keep it quiet. But really there's a little bit of competition sometimes. And there's no place for it in the church. Not just within this community, but within the wider community church as well there's different flavors of churches who worship differently i I know that you in this church that you do meet together with those other churches and i want to encourage you to do that because they may well have something that you lack they may have a perspective on something that corrects a bit of an overbalance that you've forgotten about and as we come together so something bigger is made than, than the individual things So, first one then, let us encourage one another. So it says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's Hebrews 10.24. And another one says, encourage one another daily, Hebrews 3.13. And let us move beyond elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Three places there to encourage one another. And what I notice on reading these verses is, first of all, this. Let us consider how we may. There's something intentional about it here. It's not just, oh, I'll do it when I feel like it. Or, oh, that's just occurred to me. Let us consider how we might do it. So there's a bit of a choice going on there. There's something intentional that says, you know, I'm not just going to encourage somebody when I feel like it. I'm actually going to consider who needs encouraging. Who's looking a little bit, you know, like they're, like they're a bit down and they just need a, a nice word spoken to them? So we need to make that conscious choice to consider how we can do it. So that's the first thing I noticed in these verses. So when shall we do it? Well, we consider it, but it also says encourage one another daily. And I think if you read the rest of that verse, it says as long as today, it's today. When's the time to do it? Now. <laughs> you can't encourage in the past, that's gone. You can't encourage in the future, it hasn't got here yet. You encourage today and daily. So it's not just do it once, but keep it up. Keep encouraging one another because we all need encouraging. Sometimes we need to be told if you're doing a good job. You know, it's, uh, it's not pride to build, it's building somebody up. It's just encouraging them. Yeah, you're on the right track. What you said really encouraged me, whatever it might be. So let's do it daily. So that's when, but also how. And it gives us various ways we can do it. So it says, spur one another towards love. It's just being kind to each other sometimes. 
You know, just, just a, a kind word, just a loving act. So good deeds, perhaps something just unexpected that we do for somebody else. Um, just that they, you know, they, they really weren't expecting that at all and you, you did this thing, whatever it might be, just a little gift or, or something. Just good deeds for each other. And then it says, um, encourage one another daily. Actually, I think I needed the whole verse there. Yeah, actually, that verse 313, the whole verse is, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So another way we encourage each other is by watching out for each other. And it's like, well, you know, I'm not, I think you might have taken a wrong turn there. It's, yeah, I can see that you're doing this and it's not really being helpful to you. So one of the ways we encourage is by watching each other's back in terms of when we get it wrong. And that perhaps takes a little bit more courage sometimes, but that's what it tells us to do there. And also encourage each other, it says there, to be taken forward to maturity. Actually, in another place in Hebrews, it says you need to stop just having milk and get onto strong food. And uh, I, I learnt um, from the side of an Oatly carton that you can't call something milk unless it's the secretion uh, of a lactating mammal, is what it says. Now, I hope that's grossed you out a bit, <laughs> because if that's what milk is, Milk's food that something else, somebody else has eaten first. <laughs> okay, I hope you've grossed you out again. But what the, what the writer's saying is, you should be moving beyond milk. You need to find your own food in the Bible. You need to encourage one another to go towards maturity. And somebody, you know, when you've got a baby who's, who's got milk... and you, Even I can find it a little bit cute if you're feeding a baby with a bottle, and I'm not really into that particularly but if if i came in this morning with my bottle then there'd be something seriously wrong wouldn't there if you're going round as an adult and you've still got your bottle of milk then it's like ooh, ooh this, this is a bit weird but there are some christians like that who actually never learn to feed themselves from the word who never learn to dig deep so it tells us to encourage that let, let us move on beyond elementary teachings of Christ and be taken forward to maturity. And kind of related with encouragement is persevering. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. It's marked out. Someone's been there before. There's a path there for us to run. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. There are times when we might find our faith is not as strong as other times when it's like well, I don't know this doesn't make sense to me this thing has happened and I can't square it with this verse and, I, and, and our faith can start to get a little bit shaky and at that times we need to encourage one another and say now look you just got to hold unswervingly there are times when you've got to hold on and you might think well I don't feel this thing but right now I'm going to persevere And the reason is given to us there. Let's hold on swerving to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's the reason why we do it. So we just remind ourselves of the character of God. We remind each other of the character of God. And those times when one's a little bit down, then another one can lend a bit of their faith to them 
and say, no, I still believe in the goodness of God. We sang about it earlier. I know that he who promised is faithful. So there will be times when we need to persevere, and that's when we need to be standing by each other to, to run that race and to move forwards. Let us hold firmly to the faith we, pre- we uh, what does it say? We profess, yeah. The next one is this one, let us enter rest. Uh, I think I said a little bit about this last time I was here. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. It's a collective responsibility to help each other to get to this place called rest. Right, well, what's, what are we talking about rest? Now, this is all, if you read the, the, the chapter series, this is all in chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews. And it talks about how Moses got the people out of Egypt. So that was his job. He got them out. And the first stage in anybody's Christian life is to get out of Egypt. And Egypt is the place where you're in bondage to sin. You don't do what you want to do. You're a slave. Um, you, that's the place of bondage. And Moses got the Israelites out of Egypt. But that's all he did. And um, there's a rather startling fact when I thought about this, that of the, depending whose numbers you believe, half a million or so people who came out of Egypt, only two of them actually made it finally into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb. That's not a very high success rate, actually, (laughs) when you look at it that way. So Moses got them out of Egypt Joshua got them into the land, but he didn't get them into rest. Try reading Judges, Samuel, Kings. They didn't have rest in the land. They had continuous warfare from the tribes around them, etc., etc. So even Joshua didn't manage to get them to this place called rest. He got them into the promised land, but they didn't get into the land of promises. And that's what this rest place is. It's getting to a place where we're living in the land of promises. Now, it's not... um, Well, I'll say first of all, I'll take them in a different order. Rest is not just about idleness. I said I'm going to retire shortly. I'm not just going to sit around, I don't think. Um, We're in, actually, we're still in God's day of rest. said on the seventh day, rested. And that's actually where we still are. We're in that day. But it's not that God's doing nothing. He's not kind of, oh, I'll just sit back and watch what happens now. God is still actively involved in his world. So, all right, on the seventh day he rested, but he's doing stuff. And that's the same with us. It's not just idleness. And rest also isn't about geography. You know, um, one of the most amazing things that's happened in, in recent history is the refounding of the state of Israel. Israel. Who would have thought after 2,000 years that a people persecuted, sundered to the winds, would come back, back into their physical land? But they haven't got rest. Within 25 years of coming back to the state of Israel, they've fought four major wars. They still haven't got rest because rest isn't just about geography. It's not just about location. You can be in this place this morning, this church, that you're in the right location, but you might still not have rest. You might still be churning. You might not have reached the place of promise where God wants you to be. 
But as I said with those letters verses, it says, let us be careful that none of you be found. It's kind of a collective responsibility that we all need to get involved with this. And it says this, in a, in a verse that at first sight looks like a little bit of a contradiction. It says, let us therefore, as another letters, make every effort to enter that rest. So we need to reach out to one another and make sure that none of you is found to have fallen short of it. So it's another place where if you can see somebody who's anxious, somebody who's churning, somebody who's just blown around by the winds, then let us reach out to that person and say, come on, God's promises for you are this. He has good promises for you. Let's enter that place where you're resting in God. Now you've found that place of promise. So let us enter rest. And, oh yeah, I just I was thinking about this idea of it's not just a location. You know, you come across people sometimes who I would call church hoppers. They're looking for the right location where they're going to feel at rest. And you know what? They're not going to find it just by going from church to church. Because the problem isn't the church they're going to, the problem's them. They haven't found the, the place of rest. And if, on the other hand, if you are in that place, you can be restful even when there's chaos going, around, going on all around you. Because it's not location. It's a place with God. It's entering a place of promise. So the final one, let us approach God. This is kind of, I suppose, getting into the territory of reaching up. But again, it's a corporate thing. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. And obviously what we do when we meet together like this on a Sunday morning is we come together for corporate worship. And corporate worship is something different from worshipping on your own. It's not better or worse, but it's a different thing. And one of the things about worshipping together is that we are in unity. We sing, even at the simple level of we singing the same words at the same time, it brings a unity. And it's let, it's let us draw near to God together. And in the same chapter, I think it is, or maybe it's chapter 12, it says, let us not, you know, let's, let's not neglect a meeting together. Don't, you know, don't get into that place. So it's a corporate thing. And I'm going to kind of draw this to a, a conclusion here with one of the real gems. Uh, it's one of the, this one should be on a fridge magnet. It's one of the really lovely verses of the New Testament. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. And again, it's us. Let us together. Let's do this together. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may f- receive mercy Mercies for what's gone past. You need mercy for stuff that went wrong in the past. You don't need mercy for the future yet. <laughs> you might need some in a bit. But mercy is for things that have gone on in the past, either as individuals or perhaps if we've caused hurt to each other. Let's find mercy for that. And find grace to help us. Grace is what you need for going forwards. Grace isn't very useful for what's already happened. Grace is for what's coming. I need grace, Lord. We need grace together for moving on as a community of people to help us 
in our time of need. So, reaching in, I want to encourage you to do these things, to, to be aware of each other, to be aware that as we encourage each other, as we persevere together, as, as we help each other to find that place of rest in God, and as we come together and encourage each other in worship, that will build each other up. We'll be strengthened as individuals, and it will build a community from which you can then reach out. It will build a community then that allows you to do the reach out to the wider community out there. Because there's a strength that you're coming from, there's a base that you're coming from. So I think it's really great that you've got these three ideas. Uh, I, I kind of think of them as, I'm an engineer, I don't know if there's any others. Um, I think of it as Fleming's left-hand rule. Anybody know that, Dan? No? Yeah, he's nodding. Yeah, it's this, a little bit for geeks. It's, it's a thing that looks like this. It's a three-way pointer thing. It's to do with motors and magnetism and things. Reaching up, reaching into each other, reaching out to the community that's round about. I think of it like that, Fleming's left-hand rule. And uh, as we do that, so there'll be a great community. And people will see what you've got. You know, that, that was the hallmark of Christians in New Testament times. See how these Christians love one another. It was like, nobody else does this. That's not what society's doing. But these Christians have got something different. Uh, I was in a, um, a conference yesterday morning. It was, a, it was uh, an outreach conference, a global connections conference run by the Evangelical Alliance. And there's a guy who did a, like a scene setter at the beginning. And he had some statistics about how people come to faith. You know what? It's not through the preacher doing a splendid sermon very often. Um, the most common reason why people come to faith is because of friendship and community and reaching out. And the other interesting thing, he had a slide where they'd, they'd ask people outside the church to, to rank what they saw in their Christian friends. And you'd be amazed how positive it was. You know, we see them as, as faithful people. We see them as kind people. And these were not Christians saying this. These were just the world looking in on the church. And that is deeply attractive. If we do that, if we have that kind of community, it's what people are really hungry for. So as we reach in towards each other and we build this thing, it itself is a witness. It's an evangelistic thing in its own right when people see what we've got. So I want to encourage you. I know you do this stuff already, but just keep it up. Encourage one another. Persevere. Yeah. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, you showed us how to do this. When you were on the earth, you built a strong community of people. And I thank you that we have such a precious gift that as we come together, as we make friends, as we make deep bonds with each other, so we find so much of what you intend us to be. And I thank you that those promises uh, of a future, of prospering, they're for us as a church too, not just for individuals, but for a community. Thank you, Lord, that you care about communities and you bless communities. And we do say, Lord, that we will 
reach to each other. We will reach into each other to encourage, to persevere. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Can we just show some appreciation for Brian? Thank you so much, Brian. You know, Brian is, is a man of great integrity.